0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. And just a reminder, folks, before you get out on the road, if you're running some errands, today is Martin Luther King Day. Which means the markets are closed, it means the post office is closed, and it means a lot of banks and financial institutions around the country are closed today. In spite of that, however, we still have news happening across the ag industry. We're going to check in with Jesse Allen, the Farm and Ranch Director of the American Ag Network, here in just a moment about some expansion plans with our friends at CHS. In segment two, Darren Newsom, senior analyst at BarChart, will be joining us. Last week, we had the WASDI report, World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Darren rolled his eyes as that report was being discussed. We're going to talk through what he looks at as these markets are moving. And then in segment three, our friend Dr. Paul Sundberg, the executive director of the Swine Health Information Center, will be joining the program. We're going to look through some of those risks to hog health taking place not just domestically, but around the world. Before we jump into all of that, however, let's talk to our friend Jesse Allen over at the American Ag Radio Network. Jesse, I understand last week you had the opportunity to talk with Jay Deberton at CHS about some
1: expansion plans they're putting together. Can you fill us in on what they're up to? I did, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show today. A few different things of note from that conversation I had with uh, Jay Deberton. They first looked at their first quarter earnings for CHS, reporting uh, more record profits uh, for the first quarter of 2023. Company reported quarterly net income 782.6 million dollars compared to 452 million in the first quarter of fiscal year 2022, and they continue to point to continued robust global demand for commodities, coupled with market volatility, resulting in strong earnings across all business segments. There's soybean and canola processing businesses and their ag segment benefiting from strong demand for meal and oil, as I know you talked about a lot uh, here on the show when it comes to the markets. And looking at Significant improvement in earnings for the energy sector as well across rural America, just strong demand across rural America, higher refining margins, et cetera. But another note that you mentioned that I talked to Jay Debertin about looked at the expansion of a joint venture with Cargill. It's called Temco LLC, and they added the Cargill-owned export grain terminal in Houston, Texas. Now, the addition of this Houston terminal might expands the joint ventures export capabilities it provides shipping access for grains oil seeds and byproducts through the port of houston and what's interesting about this mike is you know we think about our normal export channels you have the pacific northwest you have the great Lakes seaway you have new orleans the mississippi river this is kind of the the central gulf so to speak through houston and it's uh it's something that It's very interesting when you dive more into it, but it just sounds like it creates another export channel for commodities here in this uh, joint venture between CHS and Cargill, Mike.
0: Absolutely, Jesse. And I'm glad you brought this up. So Temco, I just was reading, it sounds like this Houston terminal they're looking at. It's about 40 miles inland from the Gulf of Mexico, and it has the capacity for 250 million bushels of grain annually. That is certainly a big amount, Jesse. And I think it speaks to the optimism for export that CHS must have seen in this uh, 2022
1: time period. I think so as well. And, you know, 6 million bushels of storage and capacity for 350 rail cars. The facility handles up to 250 million bushels annually. I mean, the the terminal receives trucks, rail cars, just a variety of commodities. And we just think of how, you know, you talked about this, I've talked about this as well, the American Ag Network and on my show Market Talk, just the shuffling of the, the global trade deck chair, so to speak. So looking for the U.S. to stay competitive, having more areas to export out of. It, you know, it seems like CHS Cargill kind of expanding on this long running partnership. It's a 24 year partnership, just trying to expand more of that global grain market access for US farmers. And I think that's going to be key moving forward, Mike.
0: I think you're right Jesse. Now I want to ask you about the territory that you cover, American uh, Ag Network of course up across the Dakotas, Minnesota, Nebraska, parts of Montana. In that region, volatile weather this past year. Jesse, how are producers in your territory
1: looking ahead to 2023? Is there optimism in farm country? I think there's optimism, but I'm going to say it's it's cautious optimism. And I think that's maybe something across the entire US as we see, you know, Mike, let's let's be honest, we're getting ready to plant the you know, the highest costing crop ever. Um, I mean, you think about the cost of inputs here going into 2023, uh, a record price to put a crop in the ground this year. Yes, you know, markets remain very elevated and prices remain good. And there's been a lot of record income, I think for many farmers. I think that's, you know, case in point, we've been seeing, you know, not much farmers selling before the beginning of the year. And then even, you know, here at the beginning of the year, not a whole lot just because farmers have a lot of cash in the bank right now. Uh, in many cases, not everyone, but in many cases, I, I think there's cautious optimism, though, with the weather you mentioned, trying to, you know, continue to improve that soil moisture here as we get into the spring. What will the snowpack look like once it melts, especially across the northern plains? You know, what's that going to do as we get into spring planting? What's the weather look like as we kind of shift from this La Nina to El the old pattern i'm going to say it's cautious optimism across much of the northern plains and really just across farm country in general here in the u.s that would be my my summation of how things look here as is we're just a couple of weeks into the first part of the new year
0: Well, Jesse, you mentioned the the cost of putting this year's crop in the ground is certainly one that is going to make a few people's hair stand on end, no doubt about that. But it sounds as though we might be getting some relief with regard to equipment repair. Recently, I understand John Deere and American Farm Bureau signed a memorandum of understanding on equipment repair. You've been talking about this a little bit. Jesse, can you give us some of the details?
1: Well, you know, they signed this at the American Farm Bureau Federation convention down in Puerto Rico here earlier this month, and I I think this is interesting. I, I hear this a lot when I talk to farmers across the countryside, and I think you probably have as well. Just how sometimes they get stuck having to wait in the field to get a piece of equipment repaired, uh, and sometimes they're that downtime three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. Uh, that's costly, especially when you're trying to get a crop in the ground or whatever the case may be or you're harvesting etc so I, I find it interesting they've signed this uh, memorandum of understanding and i think it, it goes a long way to maybe try and get some of this um, get some of this confusion and, and allow uh, cleared up and allow farmers to work on their own in the field sometimes and i know david gilmore john deere says the mou quote, vitally important that we have an opportunity for American Farm Bureau Federation and industry to come together to solve issues and opportunities that we have, machinery and equipment, products that our customers invest in are a large investment and the opportunity for them to maximize the uptime of that equipment and minimize downtime is an important area of focus for our organization and for the industry. And that's directly from someone at John Deere. I know that this uh, AFBF hopes this model will serve, be a good model for other manufacturers. And a lot of those discussions have already begun, according to the American Farm Bureau. So I think this is just an interesting step in the right direction. And I would think a lot of uh, farmers and ranchers would probably agree with that. Absolutely.
0: And folks, if you want to keep up to speed on what's happening in the ag industry, and particularly in the markets, follow along with Jesse's daily program, Market Talk. You can find it online at markettalk.ag. We've been talking with Jesse Allen, Farm and Ranch Director at the American Ag Network. Jesse, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, Mike, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: And folks, stay tuned. We're going to talk market factors with Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart when AOA returns. Stay here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
2: Each season, farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't
3: pick farming.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We appreciate you joining us today. And just a reminder, if you're just tuning in, we're recording this on January 16th, which is, of course, Martin Luther King Day, which means the markets are closed, which is good. The trade is digesting still some of the data that was released last week from Uncle Sam. And we're going to talk about some of that data. We're going to talk about interpreting that data. Joining us next is Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. And Darren is one of those folks who, whenever the world agricultural supply and demand estimates get discussed, I hear a big eye roll coming from Omaha. And typically, that's Darren Newsom rolling his eyes at the importance laid on the feet of these USDA documents. He's going to join us now to talk. Through what he's watching in these markets rather than these reports from USDA. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today.
8: Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks again for having me on. Let's start at the
0: beginning. Last week, of course, last Thursday, we had USDA release their WASD data. Allegedly, it's a component of we're tracking the total production of this last year. We're looking at world agricultural supply and demands. Darren, you tend to roll your eyes. Why do you not put a lot of stock into this data from the
8: USDA? Oh, because the numbers are all made up. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, there's there's no real scientist science to this prog- uh, process. Uh, it's all just made up numbers. And you know, if if we're actually interested in agriculture, if we're actually doing this as a business rather than playing the world's largest keno game just to see what how what what numbers the house unveils. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've always get a chuckle out of that game. Uh, you know, but if we're actually interested if we're actually uh, investing or trading or hedging or you know merchandising or whatever aspect of the of the industry that we're actually taking part in we have to look at real fundamentals versus the imaginary numbers that that USDA releases and to me it's much more important to to understand what's really going on versus what somebody thinks might be going on and and here's the here's the real catchy part It may not even be what USDA actually really thinks is going on. There's there's always other reasons why they have the numbers that they do. Um, But the markets don't lie. We can read supply and demand in the markets any day, any hour. Uh, It's very simple to do. And we can understand what what, what the real supply and demand situation are, what real fundamentals are, without playing the monthly, quarterly, annual, whatever, uh, keynote game.
0: So let's talk about how we get to the real information on supply and demand. Darren, when we talk on the program, a lot of times you reference spreads, the difference mm-hmm. in price for different contracts in the same commodity. Can we talk a little bit about how you use spreads and what information you can get from these different prices? Let's talk corn first. Uh looking at the spreads here, we've got March corn at 675. We've got July corn at 663. So we've got a 12 cent inversion. What does that tell you in the corn market about supply and demand?
8: All right, when we see there there's there's very few things that I say are absolutes. In fact, I have an, an absolute rule uh, that says there are no absolutes in markets except for one, and that is when you are talking about a, storal, a storable commodity and I don't care if it's corn, I don't care if it's, you know, it's one of the energy I don't care what it is. If it's a storable commodity and you have an inverted future spread, which is where the nearby contract is higher priced than the deferred, it is a bullish supply and demand situation. Why? Because merchandisers are pushing the nearby futures contract to source supplies to meet demand. And we see it all the time in energies, we see it in, we see it in the grains, we see it in every we see this pop up in every storable commodity and that's just how you know if you see this if you see the situation and looking at the future spreads you've got the march may corn spread in inverse you've got the may july inverted july sep inverted you have to go out to next year's these 2023 march 2024 showing only a six and three quarter cent carry and here if we if we calculate full commercial carry which is total cost storage and interest. For that time frame, that only covers 20% calculated full commercial carry. So when I was back as a merchandiser uh, many decades ago now, what I did is I devised a very simple table that broke it into thirds. 33% or less calculated full commercial carry is still bullish. 67% or more, that's when you're going to have merchandisers rolling out of the nearby into the deferred contracts because fundamentals are bearish. There's no real push for your supplies that you have on hand. So roll it in the market, take advantage of the carry. So right now we've got the first carry that we see is next year's first supply and first uh, future spread. And it's only a 20% calculated full commercial carry. We have a very bullish long-term supply and demand situation in corn, soybeans, basically whatever storable commodity and grains that we want to look at at this point.
0: Now, Darren, this is in a storable commodity, something you can stick, mm-hmm. stick in a bin or in an oil pipeline for months and months mm-hmm. or years and it's not going to change the quality. Looking at the meat markets, of course, the protein mm-hmm. markets, that's a little different, right? You can't store beef Absolutely. forever. You can't store live cattle forever. How can you read the spreads in a market where you can't have the final product be storable forever?
8: That's a that's a great point and it's one that we do, that that a lot of folks do get stuck on because When it comes to livestock or where you you don't have that storable component then what you have to do is you have to take each spread say the Feb April or April June live cattle spreads or whatever it might be March April uh, feeder cattle. And what you do is you compare it to history. I usually stick with a five year and what I'll do is I'll look at the five year high for that spread five year low and the five year average. And usually if it's between the average and the low, that tells me it's a relatively bearish supply and demand situation. If it's between be- uh, nutri- me, average and uh, the highest that it's been, that's a more bullish situation. What we've seen in the live cattle market is that for more than a year now, those spreads have been running, you say those nearby spreads have been running below their previous five-year low. So, you know, it continued to tell us that we have this big supply of cattle in it. And, you know, then when, you know, USDA would come around with its, uh, with its cattle on feed, it would almost always, you know, at least seem to agree with what I, we already knew about supply and demand in the cattle market as far as the supply of cattle. So, you know, we can read it that way. You have to compare it to history. And here you can have, You know, you may have a carry in the market. I don't really like to call it carry, but let's just say you have deferred contracts higher priced than uh, nearby. But if it's historically that way, it can still be bullish. On the other hand, if it's inverted where the nearby contracts higher priced than deferred, that can still be bearish if it's not, you know, if, if historically you see it during that time frame. And we're still on the low end. So it's a different read, but you can still use spreads. You just just have to use history uh, and where you're sitting in that historical range.
0: Darren, you mentioned it in the cattle market specifically. We'd seen cattle on feed reports continue to sort of reinforce what the spreads were telling you. Here in the last Mm -hmm. two months, we've seen those cattle on feeds reports get far more bullish. Are the spreads transitioning for a more bullish outlook as well?
8: Yeah, that's where it's getting to be a bit of a headache. Uh, actually, because, you know, one of my one of my rules is coming into, into play, rule number 4A, a market that can't go down won't go down because spreads really haven't changed all that much. We still see, I still see, you know, like for the Feb, April, April, June, and so on, uh, they're relatively bearish levels. But we've seen the futures market continue to push higher. We've seen investment money continuing to come into the, uh, into the cattle industry as a whole. So you've got a bit of divergence between what the market's showing and what the future spreads are showing. And, you know, it just comes down to the fact that this cattle market doesn't want to break right now. Uh, I don't know what that's telling. It could be telling us that the economy is better than what many people are thinking. But the future spreads still bearish. Not so much. You know, I, I think we could top out this cattle market here pretty soon so far as you mentioned the last few months it hasn't happened
0: it certainly hasn't darren there's a lot coming for farmers in this year ahead i understand you will be one of the presenters this weekend at the south dakota corn growers annual meeting in sioux falls for Mm -hmm. corn growers specifically looking at the year ahead do you have good news for them coming to the meeting
8: you know the 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 question that i'm going to tackle and and i know you'll be there as well um, but the question i'm going to tackle is one that's getting talked about a lot could corn hit seven dollars well i mean just Very short answer is yes, because anything's possible. Um, So certainly $7, and I know they're talking about December corn, uh, the December corn futures. Uh, Could it hit $7? Absolutely. That's always a possibility. But then we have to lay out, you know, not only the technical picture that doesn't look as favorable. We already talked about how the fundamentals are still bullish from a price distribution standpoint you know, that $7 mark with December corn, you only see weekly closes there 5% of the time if we go back through 2011. Um, we've also got an acreage situation coming up here, uh, you know, as we get through fe- uh, January and February, you know, we're going to, you know, make these final decisions on on what spring acreage is gonna be, and right now it seems to be favoring corn. Uh, so there's a lot of things to come into play, a lot of chances uh, for those long-term fundamentals to start to change, uh, certainly could all that's going to come down to weather so we'll see what happens
0: we will indeed folks if you're in south dakota and you're coming to the south dakota corn growers meeting it is this saturday the 21st in sioux falls south dakota we've been speaking with darren Newsom, senior market analyst at bar chart darren thanks so much for joining us today
8: mike really appreciate you having me on
3: again
0: and folks stay with us we'll talk hog health with dr paul sunberg of the swine health information center when aoa returns Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
7: Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice,
8: corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
1: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. No market trade on Monday for the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday. Let's take a look at how the market trade wrapped up the week on Friday. Row crops of winter wheat finished out the week higher as overall grains and oil seeds had a positive response to Thursday's set of USDA reports that showed corn, soybean, and wheat stocks at relatively tight levels with more risk ahead. Wheat was the skeptical market initially with such a large 11% increase in U.S. winter wheat acreage, but traders eventually jumped on the positive tailwinds from the other markets. Those tailwinds became a bit more choppy as we worked into Friday, soybeans uh, continue to be the leader, though, in this market. Nonetheless, the conviction of the bulls lacked somewhat ahead of the three-day holiday weekend, with again the U.S. markets closed on Monday for the week. Last week, we saw March court up twenty-one cents, July court up fifteen and a half cents. March soybeans ended up thirty-five and a quarter cents. July beans were up twenty-three and a quarter cents. March Kansas City wheat up eleven to three-quarter cents. March Chicago wheat up a quarter penny, and March Minneapolis wheat was ten and a half cents higher. On Friday's trade, March cord was up four six seventy five. July cord up two and a quarter six sixty three at three quarters. March beans up nine at a quarter fifteen twenty seven at three quarters. July beans up six and a half fifteen twenty five. March bean meal down five dollars a ton four seventy six thirty. March bean oil down nineteen point sixty three zero six. March Chicago wheat was up one seven forty three at three quarters. March Kansas City wheat up eight and three quarters eight forty three at three quarters. March spring wheat was unchanged at nine twelve at a quarter. February live cattle up seventeen one fifty seven seventy two. April lives were down to 160.90. Feeder cattle January down 87, 181.25. February hogs down 10, 78.65. Crude oil on Friday up forty seven a barrel, 79.86. Again, no markets on Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
7: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. we can make a difference bite-by-bite. You're listening to AOA,
0: Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Always appreciate you making us a part of your day. And now we're going to turn our focus over to the hog industry. We have seen a lot of volatility in that market. We've seen a lot of challenges for producers here over the past couple of years. And not least of those challenges is swine health well the swine health information center keeps track of the data that impacts swine herd diseases and dr paul sunberg serves as the executive director he joins us now dr sunberg thanks for joining us today hi mike thanks for having me on you know at SHIC, of course you guys track both diseases domestically here in the u.s and of course those tracking around the world now, i want to start with domestic diseases dr sunberg PERS has been a challenge for this hog industry how's it doing is it getting better are we getting a handle on it as a disease
4: well nationally pers the level of PERS right now nationally is within the limits of what we would expect so it's in the normal limits but uh there's been a significant increase in the detection of PERS in adult or or sow farms. And uh, that's following a leveling off of our finishing sites. So it's an experience of of what we've seen in multiple years that the finishing sites tend to break with PERS a month or two before sow sites uh, tend to break with PERS. So it's still out there. We've still got a lot of PERS in the Midwest and Corn Belt states, even though nationally it is, it's within limits. There's pockets in the Midwest and Corn Belt states where we've still got a lot of problems.
0: All right. PERS, such a costly challenge for pork producers. Now, Dr. Sundberg, at Schick, you guys publish the Swine Disease Reporting System reports. And of course, you track PERS, but some additional diseases as well. What are some other risks to the domestic swine herd you're tracking?
4: Yeah, some good news is that um, the influenza A, the influenza virus in the pigs, and that detection has um, has seemed to level off, so it looks like maybe our peak that happened in November and December, hopefully, is over. Um, PED, Porcine epi- Epidemic Diarrhea, uh, has a moderate increase in in activity, but really not anything outside of of what would be normal. So there's still that that level that of activity that you'd expect. And mycoplasma and, and circovirus are both holding steady. So there's um, some movement in PERS, and you'd expect after this time of year. But as the other diseases go, they're pretty much within limits and, and are being handled and managed as they usually are
0: that is good news the american hog industry staying on top of these disease threats but dr sunberg of course we also have threats circulating around the globe luckily some that aren't on our shores yet i'm thinking first and foremost about african swine fever 2022 was a big year for asf can you fill us in on how that spread tracked throughout the year
4: yeah since 2020 um there have been 45 countries that have reported asf infections and so you know, that's um, that's probably the number one emerging disease, swine disease in, around the world. Um, there have been a lot of outbreaks in, uh, new outbreaks in Italy, Nepal, Thailand, North Macedonia, Czech Republic, and there's been outbreaks in new zones in Germany and the Philippines. So uh, ASF's still moving around the world. It's still active and it's still going, um, There's it's going in Eastern Europe where we've Um, And had a a delegation from the National Pork Board that have done uh, a visit there to try to learn lessons in those countries so we can be better prepared here to prevent or to respond. And then you have it on the island of Hispaniola and the the Dominican Republic and Haiti there. And that looks like it's going to be a long-term issue on that island.
0: Dr. Sundberg, I remember last year there was talk about Vietnamese uh, scientists coming up with a vaccine for African swine fever. Did that get rolled out? Have we seen any reports of efficacy?
4: It is. Uh, it is being, still being field tested in Vietnam. It, uh, the reports of efficacy and of safety are good. It looks effective. It looks very safe. So that's very promising but there are limitations with that vaccine it can be produced only in very limited quantities so it most probably won't be available to uh, others around the world other than in that specific area and then there are issues about um, being able to differentiate a vaccinated pig from a pig that's had the infection uh, and that doesn't happen with that vaccine so there's still a lot of activity there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to get us a, an effective, safe vaccine for ASF that's available around the world.
0: All right, I'm curious, of course, folks, we're talking with Dr. Paul Sundberg, Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center, and Dr. Sundberg, you published your January Swine Disease Global Surveillance Report, and in there were all sorts of fascinating facts and statistics about swine disease around the world. And one of the things you highlighted was a chart showing the incidence of outbreaks or the frequency of outbreaks per region. And it really struck me with the the sheer number of ASF outbreaks in Europe versus Asia, Africa, and, of course, the Americas. And I'm wondering, is that because ASF is a bigger threat in Europe, or are they better about tracking and recording ASF outbreaks?
4: Well, it's probably a little bit of both, Mike. Um, They are good at tracking outbreaks, but like I said, ASF has been moving around in Eastern Europe and in all of Europe with Italy and and the Czech Republic. So it's kind of a combination of both. ASF moves in in feral pigs, in uh, wild boar, and there's a lot of those in Eastern Europe. So local movement is probably caused by a wild boar movement. But then it jumps from one area of the country to another, and we saw that in Germany from eastern Germany to western Germany. That's most probably because people are moving it. And, and even though it's safe for people as a pork product, um, any time you get a sandwich that has ASF in it that um, comes from a pig and another pig can uh, contact, and eat that sandwich, they'll get it as well. So it can jump. Uh, uh as far as that sandwich is transported or it can move locally probably with um with wild boar
0: and you mentioned that it is in the western hemisphere we've got it in the dominican republic the island of hispaniola and i remember this fall there was a mystery disease reported in ecuador there was concern that maybe it was african swine fever dr Sundberg, did they ever get to the bottom of what that disease was in ecuador
4: yeah, we don't have a report of what that disease was. And the good news is we don't. We know what it wasn't. And it wasn't ASF. It wasn't African swine fever. It wasn't classical swine fever. The conjecture is most probably that it was a hot PERS outbreak. But we don't have a confirmation of what that was. We know that for the Western Hemisphere, ASF is still only, uh, as, as far as we have today, ASF is still only on Hispaniola and the Dominican Republic and Haiti and that's going to be a long-term issue the um, the virus in the Dominican Republic looks like it's attenuating or it's getting less virulent and that means that it's going to be easier for that virus to hide if uh, you want to use that term in pigs in in the Dominican Republic it's going to be harder to find it and that means it's going to be a long-term issue in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti
0: all right hopefully the researchers will continue that work fighting asf here close to our shores but in the meantime dr Sundberg, we're also grappling with other diseases foot and mouth disease in southeast asia and australia indonesia is that spread ongoing
4: well uh, there was a big outbreak of fmd in indonesia in the uh, late 2022 um australia was real concerned about that because of the proximity of that country to australia and the opportunity for it to jump over into Australia there's a big vaccine effort in in Indonesia and a big big control effort and so i think that's been stamped down just a bit um and it's uh, more under control as the reports we have however fmd it, just like fmd is it continues to work around the world at a low level not like the asf outbreaks but at a low level but pretty constant
0: all right. So it is there. You know, I mentioned Australia got me thinking about Japanese encephalitis virus. The Australians were concerned about that earlier in the year. Is that risk still out
5: there?
4: Yeah, that risk is very much still out there. Um, reports from Australia is that they've had a lot of rain and a lot of water in this spring. Now they're in December, January is their spring season and uh, they've had a lot of rainfall there. So they're doing a lot of of communications, both from government and producers, um, public health, animal health, about the risk of encephalitis moving in um, Australia, and the vaccine that happens in people as well as in horses there. We don't have one for pigs that's approved for pigs yet, but they're working on that. Um, They're still monitoring that right now. We're not seeing the outbreak of JEV in Australia that we did in January of 2022. But um, that's cautiously optimistic because the season's still young and there's still a lot of opportunity for that to happen in Australia. And we're trying to make sure we're closing every window we can so we don't import it here into North America.
0: Well, that's the thing because it's mosquito-borne. Isn't that the risk?
4: Yeah, that's right. It's just like West Nile virus that we have here in, in the U.S. It's transmitted by mosquitoes. Um, transmitted both to animals as well as to people. So there's a risk all around there, and we've got to make sure that we do everything we can to uh, keep that out of our country.
0: Indeed we do. Those risks are global, folks. Keep up to date on what risks are impacting swine health. You can learn from the Swine Health Information Center on their website at swinehealth.org. We've been talking with Executive Director Dr. Paul Sundberg. and Dr. Paul, thanks for joining us today.
4: Thanks.
0: And, folks, stay with us. We'll be back with more AOA after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right
5: up.
6: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. A message brought to you by Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
2: As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me.
5: Not the other way around.
2: A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust.
5: And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips.
2: A co-op that's here to help us own every
3: day when you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to chs you get local expertise a proven efficient supply chain and global market access learn more at cooperativeownership.com
5: what a great organization helping families in need like ours it's a godsend when an unexpected crisis strikes farm rescue is here to help assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury illness or natural disaster Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today.
2: Each season, farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
3: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming
7: In honor of all those we've lost to cancer, and those still fighting and thriving, like basketball analyst and cancer champion, Dick Vitale.
2: I wanna beat cancer, I'm gonna beat it. That's no doubt in my mind, I'm gonna win this battle. Defeating cancer will take all of us.
7: Join our team to help fund game-changing research that saves lives. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over the odds. V is for victory over health disparities, victory over setbacks, victory over the unknown. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Join the V Foundation team and help save lives.
8: Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind. It cannot touch my heart. And it cannot touch my soul.
7: Join our team in the fight against cancer at V.org.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, markets are closed today. It is January 16th, Martin Luther King Day. Most, I should say, of the markets are closed today. All of the agricultural trade is closed for the day. Won't have a whole lot of updates on cash trade. Most of it is shut down. However, we are still seeing some trade here in the international products, notably the currencies. And I felt this was worth discussing. We've talked a lot about the strength of the U.S. dollar and the headwinds. That can put on the commodity trade well maybe those are turning into tailwinds the u.s dollar index has been dropping recently as we've continued to see the federal reserve pump the brakes on continued interest rate hikes while central banks around the world continue to look at raising their interest rates That makes the dollar a little bit less of a bright spot in the international markets, which means the value of the dollar versus a basket of other international currencies is coming down. We saw it hit a seven month low in the trade on Saturday, excuse me, Sunday evening. And that was when the Asian trade opened up. The yen is particular focus there in Asia at nine month top for the euro as this week got started. All of that helps lend some support to the ag industry who could certainly use it as we gear up here for competition with Brazilian soybeans as they enter the market as that harvest takes off down south of the equator. Across North America, however, weather is in focus. We'll be joined tomorrow on the program with John Baranek, our standard guest from DTN Weather, to talk about what is shaping up later on this week. But for today... It's worth noting, we have a very active climactic situation across much of the Corn Belt. We've got some severe thunderstorm risk for listeners in Iowa, Illinois, parts of Wisconsin, and uh, places further on eastward, really stretching on into Indiana and south through into Arkansas, southern Missouri. All of those folks could see some severe thunderstorms today. In fact, some of those are firing off already this morning across parts of northeast Iowa. In addition, the weather is driving headlines. Out West for 10 years, California has been gripped by a monstrous drought. We've seen reservoir levels hit, uh, well, record lows over the past year. A lot of that is being reversed. We have seen these atmospheric rivers, effectively high moisture areas in the Pacific, uh, uh, of Pacific moisture that are being pushed by the jet stream right into California. It has resulted in some staggering rain and snowfall totals across the state, doing a lot of good to help refill those reservoirs. In fact, I don't have the data in front of me, but one California reservoir was already looking to start making releases. It has returned to a capacity they're comfortable letting some more water out. Well, that moisture across California is expected to accelerate Monday and into Tuesday. Another atmospheric river will be taking aim at the central part of that state. Folks in California are preparing for more mudslides, more flooding. The good news is that this has substantially reduced wildfire risk across the state. Looking out over the rest of this week, there will be more economic data coming from Uncle Sam. One of the most important pieces of inflation measuring is producer price index, excuse me, the PPI, the producer price index. That is a measure of how much businesses producers are spending for inputs. The idea being if businesses are seeing the cost of their goods rise, it would follow that they're going to have to raise the cost of their final product that the consumer is going to pay. So if businesses are seeing less inflation, then down the line, that should translate into less inflation at grocery store shelves, at department store shelves, and so on. Later on this week, in fact, we will be getting that PPI data on Thursday morning. It comes out at 8.30 Eastern, that's 7.30 Central time, and the trade will be watching it this week. They will be watching, trying to get a handle on how Jerome Powell with the Federal Reserve will be dealing with interest rates moving forward. He came out in December, said the Fed was, comfortable with this 50 basis point half a percentage point increase level however he also warned market participants that they are not taking their foot off the gas when it comes to combating inflation chairman powell has made several comments about the fact that in the past perhaps some of this inflation fighting power has been pulled too early and the federal reserve has gone dovish on rates too soon. Jerome Powell has said they're not going to do that. So the trade will be watching to see if PPI is below where analysts had expected, which might encourage Fed Chair Jerome Powell to continue letting these interest rate hikes slow down. As Congress gets together in Washington, D.C., we've made note of the fact that the House is functioning again. They did get their speaker um, elected this last week, and that means the House Ag Committee is getting to work ranking member so the democrat leader of the house ag committee is david scott he served as chairman in this last congress during the uh, uh when the democrats controlled the house now that the republicans have taken it over chairman scott now becomes ranking member scott and glenn Thompson, uh, excuse me glenn tonsor is an analyst we have on the show quite a bit from kansas state glenn thompson gt thompson is the republican he'll now be serving as the chairman of the house ag committee but ranking member david scott did outline what he He'd like to see what the Democratic caucus would like to see in this next farm bill. He said one of his priorities is adding another $100 million in funding to the 1890 land grant African-American college and university student scholarship product, uh, excuse me, program. And they want to make that program permanent. He says this is critical to developing our future generations of scientists, producers, and leaders in the ag industry. He also says he'd like to see USDA continue to focus on assisting small family farmers and ranchers, particularly on the cattle side. He also said that he is going to defend and protect Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, what used to be called food stamps. And he said his uh, his final farm bill priority is to help producers combat climate change. We will be hearing more about climate smart agriculture. We will be hearing more about climate change as this 2023 farm bill rolls towards completion. And as a reminder, that Farm Bill is scheduled to be completed by September 30th. That is when the 2018 Farm Bill comes to a close. But analysts are concerned that Congress might not have the speed and the organization needed in order to get that thing wrapped up by the end of september we'll continue tracking its growth here on aoa as the year moves forward and tomorrow be sure to join in we'll talk cattle with our friends from the national Cattlemen's beef association and we'll get that weather update from meteorologist john baranek of dtn weather we'll see you tomorrow for more aoa This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the
2: world. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextendcom slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick
3: farming.
6: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
8: I like that too.
6: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.